Uh, So the reading is from Titus chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zanus the lawyer and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Good morning, everyone. While we come to the final chapter of the uh, letter that uh, Paul wrote to Titus for the church in Crete. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, our city and looking at living beautifully within it. Uh, We've been looking at this whole thing of living a beautiful life uh, in Christ. I want you to think for a moment about songs that you like to sing. Maybe, uh, I don't know whether you like to sing them in the car or in the shower or wherever, but songs that you might like to sing that sometimes you get the words wrong, (laughs) all right? So you sing them passionately, Uh, you might embarrass your children with them, you might think you've got the lyric right, but later you find out that you have been singing the wrong phrase or the wrong words. Uh, Some of you are smiling and nodding, and most of us at times have thought we've heard it right. My two uh, would be, Uh, the Paul Young song which dates me I know uh, where he used to sing sing, every time you go away you take a piece of meat with you well that's what I thought he used to sing it's actually a love song and it was I take a piece of me with you I thought he's a bit of an obsessive carnivore but you know who knows the other one uh, which nobody else thought and couldn't quite see why I thought it was was the Michael Jackson song uh, which I thought was get down to the post office don't stop till you get enough Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought it was slightly bizarre that he should be singing about that. Um, but it wasn't that at all. It was uh, keep on with the force, don't stop, apparently. So how that sounded like post office. But you might think, why are we talking about random song lyrics? Well, the reason is that actually what Paul was pleading with Titus about, he was saying, the thing is, the church in Crete are singing these songs and people just see their lives and nothing matches. They don't really get what you're singing about because there's quarrels among you, because you're not kind, because you don't have this gentleness that is of the gospel. And all through these uh, chapters that we've been looking at, his challenge has come from a place of love. But it's been saying, how can people get this message of grace and forgiveness and love that you Christians believe if you're turned one against each other all the time? If you're quarrelsome? And he's quite tough, isn't he, as Paul often is, in saying, you know, tell them once, tell them again. Then, you know, he's, he's forcible about it because he knows that actually the grace that we have received is the grace that we need to be living by. And that is the beauty of the gospel lived out. Birmingham, whether you think it beautiful or not, uh, is a beautiful city to me. I've lived here as an interloper now for nearly 10 years, and uh, I think it's a beautiful place to live. Robert Downey Jr., Jr., the actor, uh, was interviewed last month, and uh, he was interviewed about where in the world, in all of his travels, uh, did he think the most beautiful people were. His answer, Birmingham in the United Kingdom, he said. He said, you have the most beautiful women. Well done, women. Um, and uh, he said, not only that, but he said, actually, there's something about them on the inside as well as the outside, the welcome, the friendliness. Um, now, he's had some struggles along the way. We may not see him as an oracle, but that was what he had found to be true in our city. Isn't that brilliant? How great that somebody visiting us should see that as beautiful. The welcome, the love, the humour, the warmth. So whether we feel like a beautiful city, Paul is kind of saying the choice is with us. If you like, he's saying to Titus, tell the church that the things you don't like about Crete are within you. The things that you moan about, the things that you get on your high horse, the things that frustrate you many times come from a place of a lack of grace within us that actually the things that are block goals for us, that we get out of proportion on, can be to do with something within us. So let's look at some of these verses that uh, give us this beauty uh, that we can have. The first thing that we're challenged to do is to submit or surrender to rule and authority, to be peaceable, to be law-abiding people. To actually work within, whether we see it as restrictive or not, to work within the laws that we've been given. To honour our leaders, however hard that might be. As we approach the referendum, as Andy said, we're going to be looking at that next week. And I have found almost so many social settings recently that it is a hot potato. You can't avoid it. People are saying, are you in or are you out? And it's very difficult in that context to know how forcible to be, how much to say. And I find myself reacting. I did when I saw the live debate. You find yourself reacting against personalities. And before you know it, we might have said, oh, I don't like that so-and-so. He's really annoying me and so on. Actually, this is an example of what's being talked about. 
that actually we can disagree, but do so with gentleness, do so with kindness. And we may well oppose the view, but to do it in a way that honours and credits the gospel of Jesus, that continues to make our speech beautiful, no matter what. Um, there's a, a quotation, and it hasn't come up on the screen. It, I think it slid off for some reason. Uh, but talks about the difference between good and evil. And really saying that actually it's from a, a guy called Son Heinzen. Uh, correct me if that's the wrong pronunciation. But he says the line between good and evil that we see in politics, that we see in parties, it's actually a line that runs right through every human heart. It's a line between good and evil that runs through every human heart. Don't be a doormat, that's for sure. We're not asked to do that as Christians, but we are asked to have a tone that is kind, that is winsome, that is gentle. And that's what Paul's reminding He's saying you can't get the, the world to understand your song if it's sung in the wrong tone, if it's done in a way that actually doesn't bring credit to the gospel. He uses words like prouse, which is gentleness, which means knowing when to speak and when to be silent, something that all of us, I'm sure, pray for in some of our debates and some of our, our struggles. Andy Flanagan has uh, written some brilliant books. He is uh, politically active, um, but one thing that he does as a Christian is he tries to bring political parties together. He brings Christians from across all the parties together to pray, to debate. Uh, he advises government. He's had really, really great role, uh, both as a songwriter, but also uh, across the UK. And uh, it's quite hard to read this. I don't know if this is my eyesight or whether it's blurred for you, but I'm going to read it to us as we look at this business of how do we get involved in changing our city. We should be encouraged because thankfully this slow replicating, the spreading the DNA of the kingdom is not ours. It is God's. Incredibly, each of us is formed with divine DNA inside us. We're made in the image of God. Every tree has within it the potential to start a forest. The seeds are there. Every human has within them the potential to start a movement. The kingdom is unstoppable because it is in our DNA. So no matter how much we try to suppress it by choosing the paths of discouragement and disengagement and complaint, these movements of slow growth happen with every moment of righteousness and justice. They happen every time we choose the king's way rather than the easy way. Just read that last bit again. These moments of slow growth happen with every moment of righteousness and justice, with every moment that we choose the king's way over the comfortable way, whether that's standing up for something at work, whether that's speaking out in a way for justice, whether it's showing kindness, whether it's excelling in love. Um, I was not watching the football last night. I did catch the highlights, but I was at a party uh, in Hall Green in a large metal tent in the middle of a very violent thunderstorm. I know they were very localised, but Hall Green had a mega torrential shower, full-on thunder and lightning in a huge metal tent. We were there to break fast uh, at the end of the first week of Ramadan with our Muslim brothers and sisters. We were there to share food together. Uh, we had 
over 30 Syrian refugees with us who were telling their stories about the welcome that they've received in Birmingham. We were sat around tables eating together, having a brilliant time when the heavens literally opened. The rains came down. Not only did they come down, they started pouring through the sides of the tent onto the electrical wires that had the fairy lights. So uh, potentially not so beautiful Birmingham was uh, about to happen. Um, we were really, I was quite scared. I stood up and said someone should do something, which is what a leader always does, isn't it? <laughs> then looked around. Um, but actually, what, what it was dangerous, no doubt about that. Uh, they took the power out. And, uh, but what was so beautiful is just the picture of everyone. <laughs> Torrential rain, which is Britain. Uh, but actually, the people, interestingly, who were the people trying to stop the water coming on to a lady who was getting soaked were the Syrian refugees. Families of refugees taking walking sticks, I'm sure they asked permission, um, from people and prodding it so that the water fell out, not in. All around. And when we heard from them, they said it was so lovely for them to be able to do something to look after a city that has not only become home for them, but has shown them a brilliant welcome. Um, their stories were amazing, absolutely amazing. Whatever our political stance might be, they have found this city to be beautiful. And what is interesting there is because of the welcome and kindness they've received, they want to give something back. It's reciprocal. And Paul's saying that. He's saying, because of the grace that you have received, how can we not do something back? And I think that for me, if we remember nothing else from this today, is revisiting again the fact that God has been good to us, that he's been gracious with us, that he's born with us in our rebellion, that he's loved us when we know that we didn't deserve that love. And he loves us today. And we come here as sinners today who are saved by that grace. And Paul's saying the church hasn't got it. And I wonder if he'd say that again to us today. Have we really got the fact that actually, and he reminds them, he says, you lived in malice, you lived in envy, but you are new, you're new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. Something we'll be celebrating with those getting baptized in a few weeks' time. And he says, be ready to do whatever is good. And I, I was thinking about that this week. It's not just saying, let's be good people. It's saying, be ready to do it. Almost to plan ahead at the start of the day to say, show me where goodness lies. Show me those moments, those divine encounters that are there for me if I only look hard enough, if I only stay open to them. I was thinking about this and praying in my car, arrived at work, and there was a guy loitering a bit around the front drive. He looked a bit lost and a bit confused, and he saw me, and it could have been anyone from someone delivering something from Amazon to somebody uh, wanting money. We never quite know who's going to knock at the door, uh, but he looked a bit bewildered, but he pointed upwards, and I was sort of going, yes, he didn't speak much English, and I was saying, yes, Riverside, and he was saying, no, it wasn't that he was pointing at. He was pointing at the Try Praying banner that we have outside Riverside side house and that was it he'd heard us say try praying he'd understood it and he'd come to try praying <laughs> which sent us all into complete confusion <laughs> I mean we've done the buses we've done the banners but somebody actually said yes I'm here to try it here to try praying it reminded me in the bible where they're all praying for the release of Peter it really makes me laugh it's such brilliant life comedy that they're all there saying release our brother Peter be good to him there's a knock at the door Shh, we're praying when it's Peter at the door and it's something a little bit about that isn't there that we've prayed for it we've longed for it 
it. And actually, it's happening on our doorstep, literally. And we're like, well, what, what's he doing? What's he doing on our driveway? And, and he was there for prayer. His name was Louis. And uh, we prayed with him. He's in one of the hostels, come to our country, finding it really tough finding it really tough and just wanted to, to learn to pray and to, to be prayed with. And it's that readiness to do whatever is good. It's costly, it's time-consuming, sometimes it's sacrificial, it is the going the extra mile sometimes, but it's worth it because of this grace, because God went way beyond for us and he does that still. Uh, in a great play that I really enjoy, it might not be your cup of tea, uh, there's a, a, a play called The Trial that Kafka wrote many years ago. And in, the, in that play, there's a guy called Joseph who is arrested and thrown into prison. And he spends the entire play saying, I don't understand why I'm here. What's my crime? And he's asking the officers and he's asking everyone. And in the end, a bit of a spoiler alert in case you're going to go home and read Kafka this afternoon. I can see many of you nodding that you are. Um, <laughs> good. Um, actually, he's killed. He's shot at the end he dies and he still doesn't know what he did wrong. And actually, we live in a world where that's true. Where there are people who are dying that we love, that we know who don't know what their sin is, who don't know what the problem is, who've lived their lives perhaps knowing that there's something missing, that they're keen to make up for in some way, that if they just get this, if this is just achieved, if this just happens, all be well with their soul. But their souls are restless until they find this grace, as the Bible says. And Kafka says this, interestingly, in his talk about the play. He says, the state in which we find ourselves today is sinful, quite independent of guilt. Now, he's not a Christian guy as far as I know, but he's noticed something, that there is sin in our lives. There's stuff that we do that is offensive to God and that hurts us and hurts other people, reciprocating as well. But actually, guilt has started to become anaesthetized in our hearts. Now, that may not be true for all of you, depending on your background, but I know for me that that can be true. That I can start to think, well, that's a kind of weakness I have, but it's a perpetual thing, it's difficult. And actually, what we have to do is to, to really get our hearts and our heads afresh, even today, I believe, around the fact that God has forgiven us for all time that he has actually reached out towards us. When I was 19, when I was denying him, when I was laughing at people who believed in him, when I was actually on uh, a, a shoot and a, a, and a drama thing, really opposing the gospel, like Paul who writes this letter, he reached out to me. He floored me with this grace. I knew I didn't deserve it. Full on knew it. Could not get my head around it. Couldn't stop telling people uh, that day one the fact that I was forgiven. Was out on the streets of Croma telling people. Was crying about it. But that was years ago. And actually, we have to revisit every now and then, as we heard last week and as we will continue to hear, the incredible, outstanding, amazing grace of Christ. Because it's only then that we'll really show mercy to others. It's only then that we will know the considered kindness that we're talking about, that preparation to do good, that preparation. And there's a beautiful passage now in the center of this, this last chapter that says, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. When this kindness came, he saved us from 
all of this stuff that you're living out. He said, you used to be an envious person. You used to be full of malice. You used to court controversy, but you are now following a different way, the king's way, as Andy Flanagan put it. And so, by this grace, we reach out to one another, to people in our city. And I've been toying with this because I love a good debate. Who here really enjoys a good late-night debate or a good chat? Yeah, it's a good tussle. You know, when we perhaps were students, used to stay up eating toast and arguing the world. I would love it. And I I could go too far with it, definitely, particularly on capital punishment. Uh, I remember one guy who just would always rile me and see me and go, hang them high, Judy, hang them like this, just to rile me, just to get a rise out of me, because he knew it would absolutely get me arguing and fighting. And that's okay, but there are ways that God has for us to stay righteous in that, to stay full of rigor, full of the heart of justice, but to do it with love and honoring the other person. Uh, Jesus says, be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. And Paul says, avoid foolish controversies. And I think the key thing there is foolish. As we look at the referendum, as we look at maybe this week, the debates that we'll get into, whether that's on Facebook, whether it's on our Twitter page, whether it's over a cup of coffee or whatever, How do we actually stay out of what is foolish and still speak up for what is good? I think it's trying not to keep it personal to the person, trying to honour their view and their experience in a way that we listen and speak. And that certainly wasn't happening for the people of Crete at the time. And then towards the end, there's this beautiful verse that really, really came out at me this week that actually his heart was, as he brings this letter to a close, it's quite a short letter, uh, the epistle of Titus, but at the end he says this, they must devote themselves to doing good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. And that was the bit that got to me, actually. It was the live unproductive lives. We, We want to be fruitful, don't we? And we know that if we stay in this grace that we're looking at, we will bear fruit. As Andy Flanagan said, it's in our DNA. The kindness of the kingdom has been seed planted in us to actually distribute his kindnesses, his grace, the necessities. They may seem basic to us, to the person they can speak of God's love, maybe even for the first time in something that we do to choose the king's way over our own comfort sometimes. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, a man, a paralytic man, is brought by his four friends uh, to meet with Jesus. They break off the roof, such is their love for the guy and their knowledge that he needs healing. They know that he can't walk, and they know that his greatest need would appear anyway to be that he needs to walk again. And so they break off a roof, they get through the crowds in order that Jesus is able to heal him. What does Jesus do? First and foremost, he says, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, stand up and walk. He says, actually, the malady, first and foremost, with every person is in the human heart. Going back to what Kafka was talking about. And he says, actually, first and foremost, this man needs to be right with God. And whatever we feel we need today, and there'll be many needs here, very sincere, heartfelt needs in all of our hearts today. But actually, 
Even if God was to meet those needs in a dramatic way today, nothing would complete us like the grace that we've received in Christ. And actually, without that knowledge that we're loved, that we're forgiven, that we're called to make a difference in our city, there will be no gift that is as great as that one ever. Jesus knew it, but we don't always get it. We think, if I just get that promotion, if I just get that relationship, if if that happens, I can live for you, Lord, all my life, if you'll just do that for me. And actually, he says, no, you've got the gift. It is finished. You have it. You have grace. You have eternal life. You have freedom. And you are free to be kind, free to be merciful, because I have been merciful with you, and I will be merciful with you. Um, I'd love to read, as we come to communion, uh, a story that has really touched me about this whole business, really, of the human heart, the fragility that we know each of us has. Um, I was sitting in Starbucks uh, planning this talk and uh, writing away, and I looked up and saw this written uh, on the wall. It says, to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup at a time, one neighborhood at a time. That's one of their vision statements. To inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup at a time, and one neighborhood at a time. So if you're saying this is too difficult, Starbucks would beg to differ in that actually we do this one cup at a time, one conversation, one encounter at a time. We don't need to spiral into guilt here today and think, I'm not making Birmingham beautiful. The truth is, we are because he's put his beauty within us. We are the problem with Birmingham, but we are also the kindness and beauty of Birmingham. We have that fracture in our human heart, but we have that capacity in him to choose grace and to give that grace to those around us. So the story is from Chuck Coulson, who, uh, who died not long ago, but wrote a brilliant story that will take us into communion and take us into maybe examining our hearts. It's the story of a prison in Brazil uh, that was notorious, that was called Humatia, and was so run down, so ineffective, so broken, that in desperation, what did they do? Handed it over to two Christians. <laughs> Isn't that like life? You know, well, let the Christians, they can do it. What, what harm can they do? Well, these two Christians uh, certainly did something. Because it says, with the exception of two full-time staff, all the work started to be done by the inmates themselves. Remember how broken and messed up it was. Coulson went to visit the prison and was absolutely astounded. He said, when I visited, I found inmates who were smiling particularly the murderer who held the keys and opened the gates and let me in. Wherever I walked, I saw men living peaceably with one another. I saw clean living areas, people working together as one. The walls were decorated with sayings from the Bible, from Psalms and Proverbs. My guide escorted me to the notorious prison cell once used for torture. Today he told me that torture room houses only just one single inmate. As we reached the end of the long corridor, he put the key in the lock and he looked at me and he said, now are you sure you want to meet this particular prisoner? Coulson said, oh of course, I've been in isolation cells visiting all over the world, I'm ready. Slowly he swung open the massive door and Coulson saw the prisoner in that punishment cell. It was a crucifix beautifully carved by all the prisoners and on the cross hung the prisoner Jesus. The guide said simply to Coulson, 
He's the one doing time for the rest of us. He gave his life for us. He's changed our lives. So we want to change others. And that is it for me in a nutshell. I know I'm a sucker for a prison story. We know this. You send them to me. Somebody sent me this one. Um, But I just love it. Because there's a sense to which we know we deserve, like the Kafka thing, we're running around knowing that we are broken, knowing that no matter what happy things happen to us, there is sin in our hearts. And yet he's doing time for us. He's done it. Jesus says it is finished. I loved you this much that I've forgiven you, that I have beaten death even for you. Um, Amazing. And actually, it's only when each day we accept that grace again, we accept that forgiveness. Let's do that now as we take communion together. Let's accept his grace again so that actually we don't have to bear ill will to others, that we can be merciful, that we can be kind because of the kindness of God to us. Let's stand together and I'd love to pray for us. Lord, we don't want to be people that live unproductive lives. We long to be people that excel in mercy, excel in love, excel in kindness. Lord, we read in Corinthians, let all that you do be done in a spirit of love. And Lord, we are those people that you have placed in Birmingham to bring your love, to bring your beauty, to be those carriers of your grace, of your welcome to this city. Lord, thank you that people speak well of this city, but Lord, we pray that actually what they see would be you, Jesus. That they don't just meet a warm and friendly person, but they meet a person of grace that has been saved by grace. And like those prisoners, can then reach out and say, you have changed us. We long to see others changed by your love. Lord, as we take the bread and as we take the wine together, I pray you just afresh touch all of our hearts, or maybe even for the first time today, touch our hearts with the fact that you have forgiven however bad we think we are. You think we're worth dying for. Thank you in the name of Jesus, in your beautiful name. Amen.